this morning, uh, you know, as I, as I think about where we're at, you know, so much of life involves interactions with others. I mean, it's one of the things that really has made this time of social distancing so bizarre because we spend so much energy these days trying to avoid people, and that's just not natural. I mean, interaction is normal, a normal part of our life. It's even a necessary part of our life. For example, teachers interact with students. I mean, coworkers interact with each other. Shoppers interact with sales associates. Church members interact with other church members. Pastors interact with those that they minister to. Interactions are just a normal part of life. Now, here's what happens in times of difficulties and trials, like the trials we're facing right now, that interactions can often become strained and tense. Uh, My guess for many families during our current trial, uh, you've probably had your patience tested more than once, even in your very home. In fact, if you're not careful, for some family relationships, they will actually fall apart during this time if proper attention is not given to their care. We also see relationship strains, sometimes even with perfect strangers who may view things very differently than we do. I know just the other week, Kim was going into a grocery store and they had a a line where people went in and she had her mask on and she was social distanced from the person in front of her, but the guy still turned around and looked at her and yelled at her to stop, you know, which I don't know what he did when they got into the store and most people weren't wearing masks and they were basically bumping into each other in the aisle. But what I see and what we look at this is, is this, that um, you know, relationships get strained in difficult times. Today, we even see people who express strong opinions about how they feel about what's going on, and they're often polar opposites. Some very strongly feel like all this is some big conspiracy or hoax at the minimum that it's blown out of proportion. And then there are those who believe that people are not wearing masks and social distancing, and they're cruel and insensitive to others and not taking things serious enough. When those two opinions collide, it can make for some difficult interactions or conversations. You see, there's no doubt that as Peter wrote his letter, he was well aware of the conflicts among people that can arise in the face of trials. Last week, as Andrew shared with us, Peter spoke about one of those interactions, which was the interaction of people with those in authority. I simply remind you that when Peter wrote his letters, the authorities that he was dealing with were often cruel and dictatorial. Basically, the people were at the mercy of those in authority. Yet Peter gave words of instruction to believers to still respect those authorities, to submit to them, and to pray for them. I have no doubt that many in Peter's day who read or heard his words did not necessarily like what he said. They would have rather opposed those authorities, maybe even fought those authorities, but Peter gave other advice. His summation was basically, conduct yourself with authorities in a way that glorifies God and bring others closer to him. Now, as Peter continues writing, he deals with other social interactions. As we start chapter three there, we could see where Peter writes to husbands and wives. And that makes sense because we have seen even in our tryings that that, that sufferings and trials and ultimately stresses our, our most dearest and closest relationships. This is probably because we have a way of bottling up stress when we are around others, but we release that stress at home. Therefore, Peter gave directions to husband and wife The greatest concern being how a spouse's interaction affects the spiritual condition of the other spouse. Now, since we're not going into the depth of those verses this morning, let me at least mention how Peter specifically points out to husbands in verse 7, how wives are joint heirs with them in the grace of God. Something very important to remember, in Jesus Christ, we are all equal in standing before God. Now, consequently, when Peter gets to verse 8, 
we're going to find some very relevant words that we all need to hear when it comes to dealing with others in the midst of suffering. Let's read what he wrote, and then we're going to come back, and we'll break it down this morning. So 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 8. Peter writes, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In this section, Peter begins with four important words that we all need to notice. Finally, all of you. We need to pay attention here because clearly what Peter is saying here applies to every person. I mean, he just got done talking about spousal relationships, but doesn't apply to everyone since everyone is not married. And so it's almost as if Peter said, okay, listen, everyone, if you've checked out for a second, check back in. The words in this section apply to you no matter what stage of life you are in or what situation you are in. They are words that we all need to hear and apply explicitly this morning if we are believers in Jesus Christ. And I clarify it that way because remember, when Peter was writing this letter, he was writing to believers. He was writing to help them understand how that you live in light of the living hope that every believer shares in Jesus Christ. Now, as we closely look at what he writes here, we'll see that as a believer, you should be driven by a mind and a heart like Jesus. Now, we may spend a good portion of our time this morning on this single point because it is the heart and it is the mind that really directs the other points that we'll look at. And Peter actually gets very specific here. He first says, all of you are to have unity of mind. Note again the plural nature of all of you, okay? He is not just directing these words to an individual. He is speaking there to all believers jointly. Therefore, as I'm speaking this morning to everyone who is listening to me, all of you, ready? All of you are called to have a unity of mind. Now, as I say that, some of you may already have started laughing. You are saying that to yourself, there is no way that everyone listening today can have a unity of mind. Yet, folks, that's what we are called to do. What maybe we fail to understand is that it didn't say necessarily that we think about everything the same way. We will definitely have different opinions on things. The obvious thing in our current circumstances, and you're probably tired of it, and that I've already alluded to this morning, is that people have different thoughts about the coronavirus pandemic. There are those out there who think the whole thing is blown out of proportion and we should never have shut anything down. And then there are those who think we haven't taken enough precautions and that communities are moving too fast to reopening things. Then there are those who lie somewhere in between. Now, we we know this reality exists, and yet for for me to say to you, you have unity of mind, some of you are thinking it's impossible, but it is not. You need to understand what we're being called to do. Again, it's not necessarily to think alike on everything or to agree on every point, but it is to have a unity of mind. And what is a unity of mind? Well, let's consider the whole of Scripture and look at Philippians 2 where we get this insight. It says that each of you look not only to his own interest but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. You see, a unity of mind means that no matter what your opinion on something is, you don't let your opinion overshadow your love for others. It is even at times looking and saying, I will suffer for the good of others. If you are familiar with Philippians 2 passage, you know it goes on to talk about how Jesus 
Because of obedience to God and his love for others, sacrifice his own good by going to the cross and dying for sin. And if Jesus did that, then there should not be, be any reason for us in the midst of a, even our pandemic for us to think of others as well and to act accordingly. For some who would say this, you know what? Who say, I, I don't think I need to wear a mask who will sacrifice your comfort and say, because of my love and care for others, I will wear a mask. At the same time, it could be those who see others not wearing a mask. It is you treating them, all right, nicely. It's not treating them like an evil person. It's you taking your precautions, maybe even isolating, yet allowing someone to write to see things differently. Now, that is a simple example, but in part, that's what it means to have unity of mind. It is looking to Jesus and saying, I'm going to think of others as better than myself. I'm not going to think that I'm always right and that what I think is, is, is surely right. So in my mind, what's going to be foremost of anything else is my love for others and the thought that others must be respected and that their interests need to be considered just as mine. Now, now, Peter then goes on to say to us, we need to have sympathy. Now, now maybe you know what sympathy is and maybe you don't. So let's consider what sympathy is. It is the idea of coming along someone with someone and sharing in what they are experiencing. It is feeling what they are feeling. So often, if we can learn to have sympathy for others, then we wouldn't be so critical. For example, we need to have sympathy for those in the high-risk groups right now who are very concerned. I mean, you might not have the same concern in life. Maybe you're young and maybe you're healthy, but you should at least sympathize with those who are in a high-risk category. For them, the risk is real. To get COVID-19 could be serious illness or even death. And guess what? They have grandchildren they want to enjoy for many years. Or they have dreams they still want to fulfill. They have ministries they want to continue. And what is certain is this, is they don't want a virus that we all hope will either quickly pass or, or, or that we will soon have a vaccination for, at least something that we can do and prevent this. But they don't want this virus to end their life prematurely and end their hopes and dreams. So we should sympathize with that. A person who is not in a high-risk category, who does not have the same concerns, shouldn't be critical, but should have understanding. You should join with them in a concern, say, I will do my part to protect you because I sympathize with your high-risk position. Now, if we move out of the realm of the pandemic, since we are really already all tired of talking about it anyway, let's think about the case in the news lately dealing with the death of Ahmad Aubrey. We know that that investigation is one that is still ongoing, and so we cannot, you know, prejudge fully what happened before everything is complete. But let's recognize this, that many of our brothers and sisters of color have made it very clear that their experience is one of injustice and inequality, that they may have to fear when jogging down a street while someone like me would not have that same fear. This is a call for us to be sympathetic to their plight, to come alongside and to feel what they feel, to experience what they experience. To sympathize with them should cause us to feel the fear that they have or the hurt that they have for the injustice they've experienced. It might cause us to even be a little more outraged that no matter how this case turns out, it shouldn't have taken months for the incidents to be known about. And it, should, it shouldn't have taken a sudden appearance of a video to bring into question what happened. If we would seek to understand others and come alongside them, then we might be less critical and actually be able to help bring resolutions to the problem. It is really like what we are told in Galatians 6.2 where it says this, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You know, especially in times of difficulty and crisis, 
It's important for us to have sympathy because a person's background plays greatly into how one's faced certain circumstances. And when we sympathize with someone's, our actions will change toward that person and the circumstances because we are moved to respond based upon the hurts or the pains of others and how they feel, not just based upon our experiences. Now, after sympathy, Peter then says we are to have brotherly love. I really hope I don't have to explain this to you because it's simply the idea of having a love for those around us, or especially those who are believers. It means when you deal with others, you deal with them in ways that express love, not hatred or animosity. You seek those things that are for the good and which would express the love of God, which is naturally followed by Peter's admonition to have a tender heart. This can also be translated compassion. If you study the word in the Greek, it is a word that means a welling up in your gut. It is to feel something in the depth of your emotions. Let's consider this. All right, let me ask you this question. I mean, when was the last time you really had compassion for someone else? When, when your gut hurt for them? Where, where internally you had an aching or a, 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 for their plight or for another? I think I felt this maybe a little bit more recently as I've seen several families who've had loved ones in the hospital dying and they couldn't go see them. I sympathize for that. Man, can you imagine having your loved one in the hospital not going there? I mean, I ache in my gut for those folks. Or I've conducted several funeral services through this time and families couldn't even have people come to visit them. My heart aches for those families. You see, we are called to have compassion for others, whatever their circumstances are, and to be moved at times to help alleviate some of those circumstances. We should have compassion for the poor. We should have compassion for the orphans. We should have compassion for the widow. We should have compassion for the sick, those struggling with addictions, those who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. We should have compassion because when we ache in our guts, we are motivated to action. In fact, in Matthew chapter 14, we see there the scripture reads that Jesus had compassion on the crowd. And as he had compassion on the crowd, he healed their sick. And then after that, he had a feeding with a few loaves of fishes or a few fishes and a few loaves of bread where he fed thousands. All why? Because he had compassion. He was moved in his gut. You see, after compassion, Peter simply adds a humble mind, which really points us back to the unity of mind because a humble mind put others first. A humble mind refuses to fight solely for itself, but to truly consider the needs of others as more important than its own. A humble mind thinks about the needs of others and how those needs can be met. Now, surely you can see how this, if one is driven by the heart and the mind of Jesus, then you act differently than your natural tendency because there's no doubt we are naturally selfish. We naturally have a tendency to look at ourselves and not others, but the living hope that we have in Jesus demands that we think differently and it demands that we feel differently. In times of difficulty and trials, we can have a tendency towards self-even preservation. We take care of ourselves, fight for our own. But Peter reminds us as a believer that a heart and a mind of Jesus in a believer is different. Now, if we get to this point and get this first point right, it should be easy to be able to see how the next ones follow suit because after Peter calls us to a unity of mind, to have sympathy and brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind, he tells believers that they should act toward others in a way that resembles Jesus. All right, look again at what Peter wrote in verse nine. He said, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Now, when I hear these words, I cannot help but think 
of how Jesus, as he was being beaten, not for his sins, but for our sins. I can't help but think about Jesus being led to the cross. I can't help but think about Jesus nailed to the cross, suffering in agony, dying for our sins, being mocked while he was hanging there. And yet through it all, what did he do? I mean, surely he yelled at those who did this to him, right? Surely he yelled at those who beat him unjustly. Surely he swore at those who nailed him to the cross and mocked him as he hung dying, right? Surely that's what he did, right? No, that is not what Jesus did. At first, he was silent, suffering his unjust treatment. And then as he hung on the cross, the words he spoke were simply this, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. How did Jesus act towards those who did evil against him and revile him? He did not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. He did as we are called to do here. He blessed others instead. Now, surely as you hear this call to believers, you understand how differently we are called to live. We are surely called to act towards others differently than what the world naturally would. I know some hear this and, and they think, you know, it's, it's, it's not right. We, we have to fight for ourselves. But a Christian must understand that even when you stand up for yourselves, we do it differently. And to me, when I think about that, there's no greater example of this than Martin Luther King Jr. who fought for equal rights. As he worked for civil rights, he was arrested. His home was bombarded. He was subjected to personal abuse. I, I, I don't believe anyone would claim that he was weak, but, but as he tackled a difficult issue, he approached it differently than most. A couple of his famous quotes help us understand his motivation for the way he fought for equal rights. King said this, he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. He then said, I have decided to stick with love. Hate is too great a burden to bear. Now, let's not forget this, that Martin Luther King Jr. was a pastor and he should have approached those who opposed him differently than the world would. One episode even that highlighted his approach was a march on Selma. He headed a procession of 1,500 marchers that were consisted of black and whites. He set out across the Pettus Bridge outside of Selma until the group came to a barricade of state troopers. But instead of going on and forcing a confrontation, he led his followers to kneel in prayer on that bridge. And then after praying, he stood up and unexpectedly turned back and walked the other way. Now, his approach caused some of King's own supporters to turn against him because they wanted a more violent confrontation. They wanted to press forward. They wanted to fight. But that is not what King's approach was. He was not going to return evil for evil. Now, ultimately, why God calls us to respond this way, because as believers, hear me, we are called to bless. We are called to live in the world in such a way that ultimately people are pointed to God and the blessing that he wants to give. What is that ultimate blessing? It is the blessing of forgiveness found in Jesus Christ and the eternal life that he offers. And folks, you will never have the opportunity to bless others in that way if you return evil for evil. But if you respond differently, people will take notice. I'll guarantee you, if you bless those who come against you with evil, those who revile you, if you will bless those, I'll guarantee you the world will take notice and God calls us to act in that way. Now, a huge part of this is the next thing we are called to do as believers. Speak with words that honor Jesus. Look at verse 10 again. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lip from speaking deceit. Now, why does Peter specifically mention the tongue? Because many times the way we respond to evil or reviling is not a physical response, but a verbal response. 
In our day and time, that verbal response often plays out in the written word on social media, which would be covered under these words of Scripture, I believe. So as believers, we need to understand that God calls us verbally to respond in a way that blesses others. I mean, I know for me, I have to fight the tendency in my life when somebody hurts me in one way or another to defend myself by speaking negatively toward that person or about that person. Somehow we have this tendency to believe that we can feel better if we make those who come against us look bad. Or as this tech would lead us to avoid, we have a tendency to paint the situation to look good in our favor, even if that means speaking a little deceit. That is not what God wants us to do. God wants us to speak truth even when that means we have to confess when the mistake was really our mistake and the one who was wrong was really me. God wants whatever comes out of our mouths or whatever is tight with our fingers to be words not of evil but words that instead bless. The apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 4. He said, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. I mean, what great words. And I love the way Paul stated it, that, that, it, that it may give grace to those who hear because grace is what we want everyone to experience. It is the grace of God that gives us hope. It is the grace of God that gives us hope in this world, which leads ultimately to this final statement, which can be a summary statement away because as a believer, you are to live a life that glorifies Jesus. Look back at verses 11 and 12. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Every believer needs to live life where you can say, the Lord would be pleased with me. If you need a reason, Peter gives it here. It says the Lord's face is against those who do evil. Now, I'm not sure what all that means or looks like, but what I can know is this, that, that we should not expect the Lord to smile on us if we live in a way that dishonors him. But believers, above all, should be people that turn away from evil, that do good, that we should seek peace and pursue it. These are words we need to hear now in the midst of a trial, but these are words we need to remember when the trial has passed. We need them because what we know is that there is always people, there will always be people who oppose the name of Jesus and who oppose those who claim his name. And so our goal must be to live in a way that glorifies God and points people to Jesus. That is what leads Peter to say these words that we haven't looked at yet this morning in chapter three. And so let me read them now. Peter begins back in verse 13 and says, now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you should be blessed or you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. These words are similar to the words we saw in chapter 2. But the ultimate goal is the same. That the life that we live should provide an opportunity for us to share the hope that we have. The hope of Jesus Christ. The hope that says Jesus provides for us a forgiveness of sin 
Jesus provides for us a freedom from sin, and Jesus provides for us a different way of living. The hope that Jesus, that acknowledges that Jesus is the only means of forgiveness and salvation is, is listen, folks, a hope that changes our life. It proclaims that, 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 that Jesus is the one who went to the cross and died for us. That Jesus was the perfect and righteous son of God, again, who died in my place to pay the price of sin and that by faith one can experience God's forgiveness. It proclaims that salvation is not based upon man's effort or good's works, but solely based upon what Jesus did. But it is a hope that says because of the promise that awaits in heaven, one is again freed from that grip of sin in order to live a life that's pleasing to God. Every believer understands that they wrestle with the desires of the flesh and to live to please them. But every true believer also understands the great desire in the spirit that's living in them to live for the one who has forgiven them. And when believers live guided by the Spirit of God, they will find a unity of mind, all right? They're going to have this sympathy. They're going to have this brotherly love. They're going to have a tender heart. They're going to have, listen, this mind that is humble before God. When believers understand this freedom and to begin to live for Jesus Christ, they're going to understand, yes, they, they, they do live differently. Even when people come against them, they're not going to return evil for evil. They're going to, in fact, return a blessing. People who understand this will let God God guard their tongue where they're not going to speak those evil things. They're not going to speak of deceit. They're going to speak things that blesses the life of others. When you understand who Jesus is, you understand that challenge. But here's what you do. You take that challenge and you say, I'm going to live differently. Why? Because, listen, the Lord deserves it. But listen, there's a world out there that needs it, that needs me to live in such a way that they are blessed. And folks, here's my prayer for all of us here today who are believers. Will we read these words of Peter, which is a call to all of us and say this, we're going to live for Jesus Christ in a way that our lives are a blessing to those around us. That even in the midst of a crisis, and even when the crisis passes, that I'm going to live in such a way that I give a blessing to God or others. Because why? Because I'm living in a way that glorifies Jesus Christ. That is my hope for you. That is my prayer for you. Understand what Jesus has done for you and then let's live differently and let's be a blessing to the world, a blessing even in the midst of our suffering, a blessing in the midst of these trials. Believer, will you take that challenge? Will you? Let's pray together. Our Father, we bow into your presence today and we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And Father, I pray that this morning as we understand that hope and that we know that hope, that Father, we don't take that hope for granted. That even, Father, today as believers, we, were, we would understand that we are called to live differently. And yes, it may be a challenge because, Father, it can be a challenge at times to live with a unity of mind. It can be a challenge at times to have a tender, compassionate heart. Father, it can be times to be hard to be humble in our mind. It can be hard at times, Lord, to not react with evil when someone comes against us. Father, it can be hard at times not to hold our tongue and speak evil or even to lie to make ourselves look better when someone has lied about us or come against us. Lord, it can be tough. But Father, today, Lord, I know none of that is as tough as what Jesus did by going to the cross and dying for our sin. And so help us as believers today who know what Jesus has done, who has accepted him in our lives to live in a way that blesses this world because the world needs that blessing. The world needs to understand that Jesus offers a different way. Help us, Father, to do that. Help us, Father, to live as a blessing to this world, knowing, Father, you have our blessing ready to give as we live for you. And so, Father, continue to speak to us even as we have a time of invitation. Lord, would you speak to our hearts, speak to our minds.
and guide us and direct us in Jesus' name. Amen.